Funding for Journeys of Discovery with Tom Wilmer is provided by the Foundation at Hearst Castle, where donors and members experience exclusive events that recreate what it was like to be a guest of William Randolph Hearst, from swimming in the iconic Neptune pool to dining in Hearst's private guest house overlooking the Pacific Ocean. The Foundation at Hearst Castle's ongoing mission is to support the conservation and restoration of Hearst Castle while offering youth programs for underserved students. Discover how you can become a member by going to foundation at hearstcastle.com and learn how you can support this unique and invaluable mission. When I stopped in to visit with Robin White, the superintendent at Little Rock Central High School National Historic Site, I had no idea that our conversation in her office would lead so quickly to tears. I had interviewed Miss White a couple years ago, and at the time we stayed on track, keeping the focus surrounding the September 1957 events at Little Rock Central High School and the subsequent lessons learned. On this visit, I decided on the spur of the moment to change the focus if she was amenable. I said, let's talk about lessons learned, but more importantly, lessons not learned in the intervening six decades. I had no idea that my entree would open the floodgates of her soul. The subsequent conversation quickly had tears running down Miss White's cheeks and mine too. I'm correspondent Tom Wilmer. Come along and join me in Miss White's office in Little Rock, Arkansas, as she shares her profound, powerful thoughts and feelings that she confessed are way too often regretfully stuffed and suppressed. Robin White. Good morning, my name is Robin White. I'm the superintendent at Little Rock Central High School National Historic Site, a unit of the National Park Service, which was established in um, 1998. And it was established to commemorate school desegregation in the Little Rock Nine. Sixty years ago, you had nine Afro-American students that had this ideology about equality and wanting to pursue an equal education. That was six years ago, and the struggle continues. One would think that we would have made some progress since 1957, and one would think that a lot of things that happened in the 50s and before would have been history. And yet we see some of the endemic racism within society and communities still rising their ugly head. There's a term that I call space occupants apology, whereas we're constantly apologizing for our existence. It seems like we need permission for our existence, people of color. And you look at how society prescribe, and I call it a society prescription, prescribe how we are supposed to perceive or see each other. We don't see each other in totality. We see each other by color, by economics, by class. We do not see each other in the eye of humanity. And with this come so many faults and struggles, whereas Many of us want to stand in our convictions and 
just be ourselves and perceived as a human being, but we are labeled and put into boxes. And lately, sad to say that um, we have become a, a, a footnote. When you watch TV, you see the news. And all these senseless lives are taken. When you take a life, you're taking a generation. You're taking generations of what's to come. You're wiping that out. You're wiping out that seed. And you're looking at the news, and here you see another man lost his life and it's basically a footnote and that's what we have become and we are better than that we are supposed to be better than that we're supposed to be bigger than that why why is my dark skin a sin why am I looked at as different we're all different that's the beauty of us that is why we were created all this difference is what make make all of us so wonderful but to the core of me I should not be struggling to be accepted I should not be struggling for someone to see me in my totality and it is so painful. I don't think people understand what it means to get up every day. We can't take this skin off of us. This is who we are. I value myself. And I know my worth. But others don't see that. They don't see my worth. They don't value me. We don't value each other. And with that, we are doing a disservice to each other. We are doing a disservice to the next generation, to our children, because they see that. How can we ready them? How can we prepare them to make decisions for our future when we are making all these bad decisions ourselves? It seems to me that that explains so much for that momentum and that reason for Black Lives Matter. Exactly what you're talking about. People say all lives matter, and, and they do. But when you are losing a life every day, back to back, my brothers and sisters are just dropping there's something wrong when people don't see this has been going on since we've been here the only difference now is that we have social media that it's in real time and no one would have believed it if we did not have social media we would be perceived as liars basically that we're making this up and still people some people are still in denial. They could see it, but it's sometimes it's just too much for them to wrap their head around, and they continue to deny it. 
we need a voice, yes. So when Black Lives Matter come into existence, there is a purpose. There is a purpose. When we are looking to stand in our convictions, there's something that I believe in. Not only do I have a purpose, but we also must live on purpose. And we can't live on purpose if our lives are continually snuffed out. We can't live on purpose and make a difference. If we are dropping like flies and no one is held accountable and no one can see what's really going on because they are too blind or they are just in denial because it's just too much. Black Lives Matter exists for a reason and we need that. We need the support. We need the support of people that are, are not of color. We need people just like during the movement, you had people from all across the nation, different denominations, right? ethnicities, everyone came together. We need that same support to overcome this, this hump. This is a big hump to overcome this. And we're not saying that all policemen are bad, but in every group, there is going to be a bad core. There is going to be a bad apple. And the only way to flush it out is for those, his colleagues, to step up and stand up and say, you do not represent me. You know, in the National Park Service, we wear our uniform with pride, the green and gray. We wear it with pride. And we have over 400 units, whereas we represent the story of a people. We're here to protect and preserve our natural resources. The same thing is that police officers are here to protect and preserve. You can't protect me if you fear me. You can't protect me if you are if you are afraid of me and I can't see you if I'm afraid of you all I see is is fear and I fear for our children I fear for my people and this is heavy very heavy on my heart but not only my heart, all of us, we all carrying this weight and we should not have to. This belongs to all of us and we all have a responsibility to each other. What is your best feeling and idea for going forward for exactly what you're talking about for your children, for the future? How do we rise? How do we grow? I think first, some of us have to admit that we're dealing with manufactured fear. A lot of this is synthetic fear. And this manufactured fear can no longer be justifiable to take a life. You cannot use this as an excuse to take a life. How can we see each other in totality if we fear each other? We have to have conversations. 
I think one of the greatest things that we can do is actually not only have training on sensitivity in our communities with law enforcement, but also with our residents. All of us need to be exposed to the struggle of a people and looking at civil rights. I don't think it should be one side. It needs to be both sides for us to understand each other. We need to come to that medium whereas we could have conversations. You can't continue to fear me. We have to develop some respect for each other or with each other to move forward. We can't keep using excuses. I think that once upon a time, we knew who our police officers were. They knew is that our families in the community knew each other. And the policemen were part of our family that no longer that that no longer exists. They're not part of our family. And you have this code, this culture. Well, we all have a culture. And if we could find a way to break down some of those social and culture barriers, we could cross those thresholds and see each other and respect each other and work together. The communities belong to all of us. Like even as a park ranger or as a superintendent, my job is to serve the community and, and learn what their needs are. How can I serve them if I don't have a relationship with them? How can I give them or develop programs that are relevant to them if I don't have a relationship with them? And it's the same thing. We have to work together and get to know each other to diminish those social and culture barriers. You are actually doing that here. I saw your brochure on some of your presenters and whatnot to do that outreach and to have people from Black Lives Matter come here and talk. So this really is an important community center in a sense right here, your National Park site. It is very important because we belong to the community. Community raised me. And with community raising me, I'm here to serve the community. The National Park Service is a vessel for me to serve the community and provide a forum for people to tell their narratives. We don't own their stories. My job is to provide a venue, a forum for them to tell, for the residents to tell their story, to write their own narratives. That's my job. That's my responsibility. And with that, opening those doors, more doors open. And we're making that connection, whereas it's a shame, and we're linked, linked, one, two, three, we're all working together. And that's what I see as being a servant, and being a servant leader, or being a servant to the community. For the community to tell me what they want, and me to work with them to deliver what they want and making sure that it's relevant to them. Robin, in your life, as you look back and you look forward, has there been progress sociologically, community-wise, that you've seen in your life, or has it been kind of a stasis? Of course, there has been, there has been um, progress in different parts of the community, and even with me. Um, 
I would say, growing up with my parents, my parents were sharecroppers coming from a McShan plantation in um, Slaughter, Mississippi. Growing up in the bayous, growing up in the low country. So I've always been of the earth. I've always been of the earth and connected to the earth as far as looking at where I come from. And so we all belong. It's, the problem is many of us struggle to be accepted or to belong. If you don't know who you are, if you have no foundation, it makes it even harder. But yes, there has been tremendous progress, but that does not mean that we can't do better. We must do better. Looking forward, looking to the future, what is your best hope and how do we rise to that next level? Step by step, we have to own this, um, I don't want to say monster, but there is some darkness here. How can we move toward the light if we don't even admit or own that darkness that we're standing in, that we're sitting in, and then moving forward? We have to admit what is going on, own that, and then look at solutions. And it takes all of us. It can't be one person. To, it takes all of us from the community. That means law enforcement. Um, that means special services. That means social organizations, social justice organizations. All of us have to work together. The bad part about this is that... In which ways are y'all working together now? In, oh, wow. Well, um, we have town hall gatherings right here at the Little Rock Central High School National Historic Site. We are having those conversations right here at Little Rock Central High School National Historic Site. We um, have the FBI, who local FBI, that will come in and have conversations with the community. But they contacted us because this is what they want to do. And this is what they want to be a part of solutions, looking at how we can move forward. We've had conversations, a program called Conversations of Color, and talking about from Alabama, from or Birmingham to today, and looking at our progress, where we were then and where we are now. We have to do it step by step, and, but it is so important to own it. We have to admit that there are some problems. We have to admit we're not, all, we're not perfect. And then come together to have that dialogue and looking for solutions. In November of last year, we had what we call a social conscious gathering where people from across the country, even from Northern Ireland came, all of us came together. And we were talking about religious divide. We were talking about economic inequality. We were talking about the education system and how it is going, we're, we're regressing. We're regressing, it's becoming separate again. So, um, but not equal but not equal. And so we could talk about the problems, but we also must look at solutions. And it is our responsibility to go back into our communities 
And so you had um, Dr. Habrowski, the president of Maryland University. You had Dr. Herschel uh, from the Jewish community. You had rabbis. You had people from the Muslim community, Islamic. All of us came together. People that were connected to Bloody Sunday in Northern Ireland, all of us came together. We had youth from Philander Smith College, from Arkansas Baptist, and people came from as far as, um, as Boston. But all of us came together to talk about the here and now, the American Indian Movement. We had the American Indian Movement and the FBI in the same room. And, and, and we were talking about how we can move forward. But I don't have the answers. I don't have all the answers. It sounds like that is your best hope and best answer for our communities is conversations. It is definitely conversation and coming together in your communities and, and taking ownership of your communities. Because I can't go in your community and tell you how to solve your problems. Identify your problems and then how you can come together to move forward and looking for some resolve and solving them. And definitely, youth must be at the table. Our children must be at the table. And we must teach them about this decision-making because they will be making decisions on our behalf in the future. So we must ready them. They see all of this craziness going on. And this summer, I had a house full of youth right here at the site. Most of my uh, employees were youth, and they were in so much pain. They were in so much pain that we had to come together and sit down and talk. We had to let them express themselves. And with that, I decided that we have to continue this conversation. We must, con and so we're meeting. Yes, we have a conversation with Black Lives Matter, but most of this is actually launched by our youth as well and of course with journalism but is launched by our youth as well we have to give them that platform where they can express themselves and allow them that space and time to grow but also we have to start that healing process because they are in so much pain if we are hurting i know i'm hurting then how is this impacting our children and we have to take that into consideration. Wow. Robin White, thank you so much. You've made my day once again. Absolute pleasure to be with you. You're most welcome, and I appreciate it. The Underbed Music was performed by the St. Mark Baptist Church Sanctuary Choir, recorded live in Little Rock, Arkansas. Funding for Journeys of Discovery with Tom Wilmer is provided by the Foundation at Hearst Castle, where donors and members experience exclusive events that recreate what it was like to be a guest of William Randolph Hearst, from swimming in the iconic Neptune pool to dining in Hearst's private guest house overlooking the Pacific Ocean. The Foundation at Hearst Castle's ongoing mission is to support the conservation and restoration of Hearst Castle while offering youth programs for underserved students, preserving the past and inspiring future generations of dreamers. These children experience a world of science, technology, engineering, art, and math at Hearst Castle STEAM, along with studying the legacy of Julia Morgan, one of the most important women in the history of engineering and architecture. 
The foundation at Hearst Castle not only changes the lives of children, but also provides lifetime memories and unrivaled experiences for our generous donors and members. Discover how you can become a member by going to foundation at hearstcastle.com and learn how you can support this unique and invaluable mission. You've been listening to the Lowell Thomas award-winning travel show Journeys of Discovery with Tom Wilmer, a featured podcast on NPR.org's podcast directory. You are invited to subscribe to Journeys of Discovery with Tom Wilmer on NPR.org, NPR One, iTunes, Stitcher.com, and more than 20 other podcast channels around the world. To learn more about Tom Wilmer's journeys around America and the world, log on to thomaswilmer.com. This is Roseanne Cash, and I'm sitting here with Tom Wilmer. Please support your local NPR station.